thank you for joining in this worship with us for June the 26th, uh, 2022. The little bit at the very beginning of this worship was missing, so I'm just adding this tag in now. Have a wonderful day and enjoy our service. As we prepare for our next section of Romans, which will be chapters 9, 10, and 11, this is perhaps the most complicated section I had to do. I can tell you I spent about four hours just trying to do one paragraph this week because, wow, Paul is tying a lot of complex ancient Judaism into Christianity, and it's not the easiest thing to understand. So I'm hoping that I make this understandable today. 9, 10, and 11 were meant for the Gentiles and for the Jews. It's an ongoing discussion of what is the Jewish place in this new Christian church? What is the place of the Torah? Well, it's complicated. And you'll hear that. I'm not actually going to talk about that too much right now because I want to talk a bit about it after the end of the sermon. But be aware that that's what this is about. And there's still the same argument going on today in the modern church. Maybe we don't ask the question of what is the place of Judaism in Christianity, but we certainly ask the question, what is the purpose of the rules? versus the movement of the Spirit. Paul's got some answers and some thoughts. One, one other thing I need to mention within this um, is Paul is going to engage in a particular, um, a particular area of theology known as theodicy, which is simply the question, if we are living in the, God, in the world created by an all-loving, benevolent God, why do bad things happen? There's a lot of different answers and different branches of Christianity throughout history have come up with their own answers. Paul is going to give a very, very Jewish answer today. And it's not one that we generally as Christians like to engage in, but it's one we certainly have to consider. So I ask you to be open in hearing as to why Paul or how Paul answers this question today. That's all I have on this, because I want to talk more about it after the end. So, yeah. What I am about to tell you is the truth. I've searched my heart closely. I've spent much time in communion with the Holy Spirit, so I, I know that these feelings are honest, and they've been affirmed by the Holy God. Though I am blessed... And I have great joy for my call and my faith. I must admit that in my heart also exists a great sorrow. Part of me wishes that I could return to the old days, to be cut off from the way of Christ and the ever-expanding church, to be with my own people. Though we call ourselves Jews today, we are in truth the Israelites, God's chosen people. Our ancestors were selected out from all peoples on earth, adopted as sons and daughters of the God Most High. 
we, the Israelites, received the covenant, the law, the temple, the protection, the glory, and the promises of God. It is from our ancient and noble lineage that salvation came to this earth through the, our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless ye the God over all things. Amen. God's promises never fail. Just because so many of my brothers and sister Israelites have not come to join us in the Messiah's way doesn't mean that the promises of old are bunk. For not all peoples who are descended from Jacob are Israelites. Many have left or disappeared in our long history. God long ago separated those who were chosen from those who weren't. Abraham had eight sons, but only Isaac was chosen to, as God's. Isaac had two sons, both blessed, both became great nations, but only Jacob was named Israel and chosen. Is God unjust in this choosing of one brother over another? No. God doesn't bless people because of their birth, but according to the wills and the plans of God. We cannot change God to fit our ways. We must accept that some things are beyond the comprehension of us in this life. As the Holy One spoke to Moses in the desert, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. God's plans are deep and view time in much greater portions than our own. Our lives are too small to measure in God's time. God's blessings and mercies are not dependent on we who are so ethereal, but on God's will alone. Think of Pharaoh. As Moses prepared for the seventh plague, hail, God sent him ahead with the typical warning for Pharaoh, along with a few extra words. He said, for by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you from this earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself up against my people and I will, and will not let them go. God will give mercy. God will harden hearts. God will do all this as God sees fit. I know, this doesn't seem fair. And some of you are asking, what should we do then? For who can resist the power of God? If God chooses to harden hearts or to open them, how can we do anything other than obey? Do we even have the right to ask whether this is just or not? We who can only see what is before our eyes. We are the clay that was formed and shaped according to the will of the potter. The clay has no right to dictate its own shape. 
Only God can determine the shape and the purpose of each lump of clay. God could show great wrath in an instant. Punishment on all sinners in this world could come like that. But instead, God has restrained anger and penalty so that the Israelites could understand just how massive God's grace and patience really can be. That is all to prepare us for the coming glory. Not only the Jews, but Gentiles too. As God says through Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. In this very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, um, there they will be called children of the living God. And Isaiah cried out, though the number of Israelites be like the sand of the sea, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on the earth with speed and finality. Also, unless the Lord Almighty had left us descendants, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been like Gomorrah. So it is that the Gentiles obtained righteousness while not chasing it, and the children of Israel could not find it despite their searching. It's true, but not for lack of zeal for the Lord, but because of the stumbling block of dogma, for following the rules, thinking, them, thinking that they would bring them to righteousness. But we know that the clear way is not through following the rules, but through the living faith. Remember what Isaiah said. See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble, a rock that makes them fall, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. In my deepest and dearest hope, all of Israel will be saved. For them I pray daily to the Lord that God may turn their hearts. They love God deeply. They only wish to be what they were chosen to be. But they came to believe that by following the given law they could gain righteousness. And they do not recognize that the given law is but a path that leads them to Jesus. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for all who believe. We have long struggled with how to live in the given law. Even at the very beginning, when the law was brand new, Moses argued that for righteousness, people should follow the law. But then he also argued that for righteousness is something, I argued that righteousness is not something that can be gained by human effort, but through God's living faith. Jesus is the culmination of the given law. And what do, and, but did we, did we gain Jesus ourselves? Were you, were you the one who climbed up into heaven? and brought him down to earth? Were you the one who climbed down into Hades after his entombment and bring him back up? The Christ came because of and through God. 
as it's written in Deuteronomy about accepting the law, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. Let me interpret that for you now that we have come into the days of Christ. The word is the faith that we proclaim and preach, for it is in our mouths and our hearts. The word is the good news of Jesus, that is the salvation to all who allows it into their hearts. So confess, confess with your mouths that Jesus is the Messiah and believe in your hearts that God has raised him from the dead. For this, this my brothers and sisters is the core of the good news. Preach, preach freely brothers and sisters. For this is the message to all peoples. Do not be ashamed in these words, for there is no shame in preaching the good news. And do not worry, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You, you are the messengers, the secret couriers. You are the apostles. How will they hear the good news if they haven't been told? How can they come to believe? without the examples of others? How can they preach without first hearing? Isaiah wrote of the good news, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You are those bearers, run those beautiful feet. Isaiah also wrote, the Lord who has believed our message. I know, I know that not all of Israel have heeded the good news, that some have ignored it, some have even oppressed it. They may have heard it and they do not care. The voice of God came to them. God raised them to be the envy of all nations. And God made his ways and mysteries open for them. All they had to do was ask. But still, they so often were disobedient. They were stubborn. God did not abandon Israel, nor were Jacob's children rejected. Look at me. I am of Abraham. I am of Benjamin. I am hardly the only Israelite in the way of Jesus. When the prophet Elijah thought all was lost, he cried forth to God saying, I am the last one. And God reminded him that there were others that were being watched over, that were being protected. So it is today. Though not all of my people have heard the call, many have. A remnant chosen by grace. Grace which is not earned, but given. For grace cannot be earned. Just as it was in the ancient days when Isaac was chosen over Ishmael, as Jacob was chosen over Esau, now the people are separated by those who have entered into the family of Christ and those who didn't. Some heard the news and rejoiced. Others' hearts hardened and they stumbled into blindness. They are not beyond recovery, though, and their loss is the gain of many. For if they had not rejected the Messiah, then the good news would never have left our borders. Their refusal to accept flung wide open the gates to the Gentiles. The Gentiles joining, um, and the Gentiles joining 
this community has made us far richer than we would have been without them. Brothers and sisters who are Gentiles, I take, my, I take great pride in my call and ministry to serve you as the apostle to the Gentiles. However, part of me still wishes that my ministry to you is really a ministry to my Jewish family. That through you they will become envious and join us, for they are part of God's chosen people. Do not reject them, for it is on the foundation of their faith that the church is built. The gods chosen are like a great ancient olive tree. Gentiles, believers, are like a branch from a wild olive that has been cut off and grafted onto the tree. You are nourished by Israel's deep and powerful history, not the other way around. You are only a part of this tree so long as you are faithful. Look at the ground, at all the natural branches that have been broken off of this tree because of lack of obedience and faith. I do believe, though, that those branches will be brought back to life. They will be grafted back, back into the tree that Israel will recognize the Messiah and the tree will be full again, but even greater than before, that the Jewish and the Gentile branches will grow side by side, creating a family of God that is greater than any dreamed of before. I know they will return to the tree, for it was written, the deliverer will come from Zion, he will turn godlessness away from Jacob, and that is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. They are playing their part in this call that God has for them. God will care for them, just as it was promised long ago. Oh, the depth of riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him all things are. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I wanted to spend just a little time talking after this one instead of before this one because I think this is some of the most difficult reading in all of the New Testament. Because it's not the way we Christians have developed in the centuries since. You know, it, it started with Augustine, who, who amazingly came to Christ through Romans, but he developed a different reason as why there are problems in the world. And the reason there are problems in the world is because it's us. You know, all, all things for him started at the sin of Adam. And we humans have been cursed in sin ever since and carrying it forward. And you hear a bit of that earlier when he talks about how the first rebellion came out of Adam. But Paul goes in a different direction by the time he reaches this, talking about how maybe, maybe all things are part of a plan. Part of a plan so large and massive that we as humans can't understand and can't see it. 
I have to say, especially in light of my daughter, I have a very hard time accepting that theology. But it also shows how even in Christianity we have these variations and you can support them according to who you read. There's also something comforting in knowing that all things are a part of a plan, that something will come out of it. And I think at least for our hearts, it might be the best way to understand it because if we come with the understanding that there is a purpose, then maybe we are able to take those painful experiences in our lives and see how they make us into better people, how they make us into more compassionate people, into more loving people, people who aren't stuck in the past, but people who walk forward into the future trying ever harder. The other part I really wanted to talk about was this, this argument. And I bring this argument up because I still see it as a constant struggle within the church. How often do we hear people quoting this little bit of scripture or that little bit of scripture saying, here are the rules, here are the way, here's the way you are supposed to do X, Y, and Z. And if you do X, Y, and Z, you're good. You have obtained grace. And then you have the other side that says, you know what? It isn't about X, Y, and Z. It's not about the rules. It's about the spirit about being in love with Christ, about being full of God's love and sending that out into the world. That the core message in here is that we are the children of God. And the rules reflect that, but they do not make it. That sometimes you have to set aside the rules because they were made for a certain time and a certain place. And instead, we need to be listening to the Holy Spirit within I've often heard of it this way. The rules are the way of the Father. They are the way of the Old Testament. You do the rules, you get the results you want. The other end, the Holy Spirit. Being filled with it, moved with it, filled with its love. And it drives you on the other side and you say, you know what? Throw the rules out. We've got the Holy Spirit. We can follow this without needing the black and whites. The way of Jesus is that middle path. You know, there's a reason why, you know, we, we, we separate the Trinity. They are one and the same, but also three separates. Jesus is the one who actually walked in this world. Jesus is the one who actually lived a human life here like us. And what do we find? We find someone who holds on tight to both at the same time, who holds on to the rules, but says, you know what? Sometimes the rules aren't the point. Who holds on to the love and the spirit and says, you know what? This is where we need to be going, but we got to hold on back here. There are, there are guidelines. Jesus doesn't get rid of the law, he fulfills it. Does so much more. I'm sure you have all been paying attention to the news and all these things. I'm sure you've all heard televangelists and people who say one or the other. 
in the end, what Paul tells us, what Jesus shows us, is this world's a lot more squishy than we like to believe. That walking in this world, there's a lot less bedrock than we think. But instead, instead, we are gifted. We are gifted with the ability to pray, to come together, to argue, to not always agree, but to keep walking forward. Do you know what? Peter and Paul didn't always get along. Neither did a lot of the other disciples. They didn't always get along. They often argued with each other. In fact, there's, there's a part in one of the passages where Peter is called out by Paul. And Paul doesn't always get along with Apollos. Apollos is perhaps one of the most beautiful um, early theologians. We don't really have any of his work. We think he probably wrote Hebrews. But they didn't always get along. But they still worked together. They still found a middle path. They were okay to not agree and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. The Gentiles and the Jews of the ancient church did not always agree. But Paul said, that's fine. Follow the law if you want to follow the law. Don't follow the law if you don't want to follow the law. The point is Jesus. The point is brother and sistership. The point is working together throughout all the difficulties that you will fall, uh, come upon in the path. If you hold too hard to one or hold too hard to the other, they become stumbling blocks. So don't, don't stumble. Okay, you're going to. But don't try to stumble. You know, if, if I'm walking down a path with my child, I don't try to walk where the bramble is on one side or the other side. I try to walk down the middle with her. Try to walk down the middle with Jesus, recognizing that this is a gray, gray world. And when you have a hard time deciding whether to take the left fork or the right fork or go right down the middle in terms of path choices, pray and make the best choice you can. That's what Paul keeps drawing us back to. We do the best we can, and we rely on grace, and that's what we got. That all said, next week, Paul's going to give us a whole lot of direction. The last four chapters plus a bit in the fifth chapter are all going to be about how to live in this world. And even then, we're going to be walking on jello. Okay, maybe not jello. Jello, I feel like there's no way to walk on jello easily. Um, what's that stuff called? The cornstarch with water? Gugak? Yeah, we're, you have to walk fast enough, you can stay on top of it, but if you stop, you sink. It's going to be gugak. All right, we're going to end like we usually do. If you would stand as you are able. We will have a, a final blessing and then our, our post, post. Holy God, walk with us. Walk with us as we struggle between the left and the right, as we struggle between wrong and right, as we struggle to walk in this world. Give us spirit. Give us grace. Give us community. We thank you.
and amen.